Hello, hello, and welcome to another podcast episode of Overpowering Emotions, where I talk all things big emotions, emotion regulation, anxiety management, resilience. Last week, I was talking about extinction bursts and validation, where we're validating our children's experience. So building on that extinction burst validation from last time, I wanted to go even more specifically in talking about um, a very specific framework when we're looking at a parenting approach. It's called nonviolent resistance or NVR. And so it helps us move away from the accommodation and allowing our children to avoid moving away from that towards more empowerment and resilience because we're helping them confront their 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 fears and manage their anxiety a little bit more effectively. Now I know a lot of people they're usually taken back when I talk when I they hear the word violence, right? I'm not a violent family. There's no violence or anything like that going on. And and that's okay. It's just part of the name of this. It's really helpful with so many families, though. And I would say, you know, any family, a lot of it is around that validation. This approach is really emphasizing our presence, our persistence, our connection over trying to control our children or fight or nag, you know, that we can get into. So NVR, it was it was initially developed as a response to parental feelings of hopelessness against any violent or self-destructive behaviors that they saw in their children. So if you've got children like that, then obviously this will be helpful. But this approach is good for all of us because it really applies the ideals of social change within that family structure. And it really focuses on empowering parents to manage any problematic behaviors, even anxiety-driven avoidant behaviors. So it's not even, you know, the externalizing acting out ones. And so it's really about maintaining that really loving and connected relationship with our children. And that's key. And especially because it doesn't matter how much I say this isn't tough love when I'm saying we're taking out accommodations, right? When we look at all of the um, attachment research, you know, everyone's saying, oh, we follow the child's lead and, and we only do things when they're ready. But yes, that's true. When anxiety is getting in the way, however, we need to do things differently. Otherwise, we're just making the anxiety worse. And so we need to be careful with this. And so I love this approach because it's really focusing. This is about love and connection. And that's what all of my approaches are. It's about love and connection. And I wouldn't ever do any of these things if we didn't already have a strong attachment where children felt secure and and, and trusting and safe with you. So that is key. We're always going to work on that. But there's a few core principles when we're looking at this NVR. So the first is non-escalation. And I talked a little bit about that last time. I'm always talking about this. We don't want to get into power struggles. We don't want to make the situation worse. Avoiding any aggressive responses to challenging behaviors because that, you know, exasperates the, the conflict. So we want to make sure that we aren't escalating anything. Another one is consistency and persistence. So we're consistently applying any strategies and, and we're maintaining boundaries without resourcing, um, resorting to any force or intimidation. We're focusing on de-escalation. Anxiety, you know, wants to suck us all in. And so we are working to calm and diffuse the tense situations, not trying to calm the anxiety, but just the situation that we're in. We're not going to escalate it. And we're focusing on the empathy and respect, right? We're understanding the child's perspective. We're maintaining their dignity and respecting what's going on for them. That's really important. 
And then, of course, we've got the solidarity and support, right? So making sure who is in our support network here, who in our wider community can help us. It could be, you know, if you're a teacher looking at other supports in the school, if you're a parent, then what are the other family supports or, you know, help babysitters, respite, whatever we can get. So we know that NVR is extremely effective in addressing behaviors for sure, like aggression and self-harm and substance abuse, defiance, all of those sort of externalizing behaviors that can become really problematic. And the approach works by altering the family dynamics and looking at the power dynamics within that family. So we're shifting from a very confrontational stance to one of a firm resistance and emotional connection. So we're still maintaining boundaries. Kids need to have those boundaries, but we're also maintaining our emotional connection. And then with that consistent and persistent response to any challenging behaviors, and it doesn't have to be those externalizing ones, it can be the avoidance as well and the internalizing ones. The the NVR approach really helps us to establish those clear boundaries and expectations, which is essential for any effective behavior management. So when we see these really big behaviors, it comes down to the challenges with emotion regulation. That's what we're working on here. And so for our anxious kiddos, when we're taking away those accommodations, we can see these big behaviors come out because they never learn to cope with them, right? It's all about the emotion regulation that they've never had the opportunity to actually work on. And so those are those extinction behaviors that I talked about last week. So NVR is a great framework for us as adults, whatever adults, whatever our our, uh, capacity in working with children or parenting our children is, to support children in developing those healthier emotional responses to manage that emotion regulation. There's lots of benefits to NVR, right? We're focusing on empathy and attachment and respect and non-escalation with effective communication. And so we're strengthening our relationships with our students, with our children, within our family. We're promoting that healthy communication because we're seeking to understand the child's perspective and feelings. I'm always talking about that. That is so key to effective communication. And of course, it fosters a very compassionate and empathetic family environment. When we stress that open communication without any negativity, without any escalation, it just helps reduce any misunderstandings and conflicts, right? We're building stronger emotional connections within the family. So that's really important. And through this process, parents and adults, teachers, whatever your role is, we can regain a sense of control and confidence as well in in our approach because we have the strategies to deal with whatever difficult situation comes up. And so by focusing on this nonviolent resistance, we can learn to respond to challenges effectively in a calm, non-escalating way, right? So then we're going to help reduce feelings of any helplessness and frustration that come up for us. Now, NVR, it, it really emphasizes a unilateral action, meaning that the adults can implement strategies and make changes independently of your children's behavior. So whether or not they're cooperating, and that's really important in cases where, you know, we have a kiddo who is withdrawing and they're not wanting to sleep on their own or do whatever it is that they have to do. Once those accommodations are out, they're demanding that we do, that we can make our own independent choices completely separate from whatever is going on for them. So it's really looking at the systemic view. And I love looking at the systemic view of family dynamics. We're recognizing that the behavior of one family member does affect others and is affected by 
others, right? So we're the system, we're just affecting each other. So this approach really helps us addressing some of the root causes of some of the behavioral issues and maintaining factors in anxiety rather than just the symptoms, because that's often where we end up focusing, which is a problem. And we don't keep pointing the blame at the child. They're just part of this system that's affected just by as much by everybody else. And so, you know, when we're avoiding the negative response, we're really reducing that likelihood of escalation in, in that ends up happening in conflicts. And that's what we want to get to here, really, at the end of the day, we want to have that peaceful, stable family environment. So when we're looking at the benefits, those there's those relationships for sure. And it's helping kids develop better coping skills and better emotion regulation skills because they have consistent role models who are modeling those calm, constructive responses to whatever stress and conflict that's going on for the child. And so children are learning healthier ways to deal with challenges and emotions as well, right? So that's just fueling their emotion regulation and resilience. So this is really important that we have a framework like this to support us. Now, the approach is incredibly helpful for children. Obviously, I talked about with the behaviors, but when we're looking specifically with significant anxiety, right? Specifically, um, if they have huge dependency on accommodations and they're resisting any efforts to reduce any of those accommodations, okay? So as I talked about with the extinction burst, we see that children they're going to push back on adults, demanding that those accommodations continue, right? Just because as soon as we take those accommodations away, that's the biggest point of the biggest climax of their anxiety. That's where it's just going to come to its most extreme. And so they're going to demand whatever they can to get that comfort and support back. So some might resort to becoming verbally or even physically aggressive. They might, like I said last time, threaten harming others, self-harming themselves, making parents feel terrible. Maybe they'll say things like, you're the worst parents in the universe. I wish you were dead or that I was dead, right? You don't love me. It's heartbreaking and it's a great way. They will do anything to get back those supports, okay? And it's a really easy way for us to get sucked back into it. So to be successful, we have to ensure that our response has nothing to do with their behaviors. It doesn't matter if they're going to follow through with the plan. It doesn't matter if they are threatening us, right? It's not influencing our responses. We are remaining consistent. Again, it's not tough love. We're always making sure we still have that connection and validation, but we're making sure we are not escalating the situation no matter what behaviors the child engages in. So we're not raising our voices. We're not engaging in power struggles. We're not entering any form of argument. Okay. Remember, the focus is on de-escalating and neutralizing those conflicts. So we are doing the opposite. What's the opposite of yelling? Maybe we're whispering. I can see you're really upset. Okay. So those are a few components. Now, um, some of the core principles, when we're looking at what we do, the first is an an announcement. So we're clearly communicating what behavior is acceptable and not acceptable, right? And what we're expecting to be done instead of those unacceptable ones and what changes are going to be made. So in the anxiety world, I have parents, you know, they'll, they'll make announcements all the time about whatever accommodations, you know, just saying that we love you. We don't want to make that Hulk brain any stronger. And are these accommodations by sleeping with you at night or whatever it is that we're doing, 
It's making the Hulk brain stronger. It's not making your rational, calming down, you know, problem solving brain stronger. So we're not going to do those accommodations any longer. So we're reiterating that we love the child and we are there to support the child. And we're going to be focusing on the child's skills, their problem solving skills, their emotion regulation skills, their resilience, their prefrontal cortex brain, right? It's, 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 we're not helping that Hulk brain anymore. We're not helping it get stronger anymore. And so that's where the announcement comes in, right? So that might mean that they need to sleep in their own bed, or maybe they have to get ready for school on their own or figure out their own homework and getting it handed in, whatever that is. Okay. So we have our announcement and oftentimes we could do like a parent letter, for example, where we write the plan. Now, last time I was saying we write it out together. Ideally, we want to collaborate the plan together. But whatever it is, we have that written down. This is the expectation. The next piece is called sitting in. And this is a really peaceful presence in the child's space. So we are going to show, you know, we're not cooperating with anxiety anymore. With whatever Hulk negative behavior shows up, we are not going to escalate the problem. We're not going to cooperate and get sucked in with it. We are still there as a strong support for them. And I love using Hulk just because... There's so many lessons, right? He can't get rid of the Hulk. He he needs to learn, Dr. Benner needs to learn how to integrate Hulk into smart Hulk, right? So that's the emotion regulation. But we can even see how do people calm Hulk down? Well, as soon as they try to yell at him, scorn him, hurt him, like it just makes him stronger and angrier, really. It's the, is it Black Widow? I can never remember. I always get her and Scarlet Witch mixed up. But anyways, whoever Scarlett Johansson's character is, she comes and she just creates this quiet space. She's sitting in, right? And there's a lullaby that they sing the Hulk to help him calm down. So that's what we want to make sure we do. Now, um, reconciliation gestures, that's where we're offering loving gestures to the child. We're maintaining that connection while we're addressing the behaviors. We don't need to get sucked in with it, but we're still validating. We're still giving them our attention, just not their behaviors. We're ignoring Hulk, right? So, and just like, you know, the Scarlet Witch does, she comes and she sees Dr. Banner and she's there for Dr. Banner to help bring out Dr. Banner. We're ignoring Hulk. So we might need to recruit our supporters if you don't feel like you can. So engaging family or friends or whoever you can, that support system is going to be a vital piece of this process. And it helps minimizing the isolation that families often face when that anxiety takes over. Me and my husband are great tag teamers, right? So we we have learned a system as soon as we can hear one parent getting up. Actually, just today I was working with my daughter in math and math is always big tears and I hate math and I can't do anything and you suck. And, you know, it's all of this. And my husband was there listening as I was working with, just waiting for me, you know, as soon as he hears me starting to get escalated, we know how to help support each other to tag in, right? So that we don't escalate. I actually did very good today. I'm I'm not going to lie. He came up and congratulated me. So it is possible, but Hey, like, look, I'm teaching this stuff. It's hard. I get escalated too. So that's why we know we've got a system of, of, is this a good time? Am I emotionally ready to do this work? If not, Or if it starts to go sideways, who is my support system there to help so that we can keep it all de-escalated? Okay, so that's important so that we're avoiding that negativity. We're maintaining a commitment to 
um, you know, more positive interactions, no violence, no escalation in any of our interactions. So that approach is really critical when we're looking at emotion regulation, because if we're escalating, we're just not helping them cope there. We're not modeling good emotion regulation skills. So this approach is really encouraging us adults to show how to regulate our emotions, but we're understanding, we're empathizing with the children's emotions. We're promoting a deeper emotional connection and a deeper understanding, which is so important for them. That's how we disarm. That's how we de-escalate the situation. When children understand that we understand them, that they are really scared. Even my daughter, that was the key today to help my daughter. She's like, you're not listening at first, right? You say that I have a math brain, but I don't have a math brain. I can't do math. You're not listening. I'm like, oh man, sounds like I wasn't listening. Like this is really hard stuff for you. And then of course, as soon as I did that, she's like, bum, 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 like just answering questions. And then at the end, I can't do it. I don't know any of this. Right. So it's kind of funny. But, but we need to learn to validate their feelings. That's so essential. If you've heard me repeat it over and over for the last two weeks now, that is the key, right? That is what's going to help them manage their anxiety, regulate their emotions, and start you know developing that self-efficacy in themselves. That approach helps with de-escalation. It gives them space for a calm resolution of conflicts and just to calm down and to cope themselves. That's really important. So when we're maintaining consistent boundaries... NVR really helps kids feel secure. That's also important for managing anxiety. They're going to push those boundaries at first, of course. That's their job. But if we are consistent with them, this is the plan, this is the plan, this is the plan, this is the plan. We just want to get into the broken record. So they're like, ah, I'm sick of you. Just stop saying it's the plan, right? That's great because then they're going to go and do it. But if we have that secure relationship and we're maintaining those consistent boundaries and what the plan is, they're actually going to feel more secure. That's a huge piece of attachment. It's not just doing whatever the kids want to do. You're not going to have a strong attachment. They're not going to feel very secure. We need to have those boundaries. And their job is to push them to make sure that they are firm, that they are in place, right? Otherwise, let's just think of a dog in a backyard or even me in a backyard. If I was wanting to explore, right? Or if I saw a secret passageway, I'm going to go and go and go and go and go and keep going. Where is this going to go? And my anxiety is going to increase. I'm getting further away. Like, where is this taking me? We need to have a firm, okay, that's where it ends. I don't know if that's a good analogy or not, but that's just what I came up with. So this could be a whole other podcast episode really around boundaries, but it's such an essential tool for providing guidance. That's, that's important. And it helps children develop this essential life skills like self-discipline and well emotion regulation we've already talked about but even their social success well set consistently applied boundaries make children feel loved secured cared for attached we're laying a strong foundation for their overall development and well-being so that's really important and i think we forget that along the way because somewhere parents have equated setting boundaries with harshness or with fear that it's going to hurt their attachment, but it's, that's the problematic misconception. These boundaries are such a critical component of secure attachment. I did write a little article on this actually. So I'll put in the show notes just so you can check that out just around the boundaries and how important that is for their development. So it's not us being mean. We're not going to disrupt our attachments. It's so important for their development. So going back to NVR now, we're focusing on changing 
our adult responses. We're not focusing on the child's behavior at all. It gives us way more control when we're focusing on our own behaviors. We are way more effective in managing anxiety and our children's emotion dysregulation when we can focus on our own behaviors because we have zero control over our kids' behaviors. And when we start to focus on the kids' behaviors and try to change their behavior, it's going to result in a fight. It's going to escalate the situation. So we're really learning to shift our focus on our own behavior so that we can have far more constructive interactions with our children. We get out of the accommodation trap. We're fostering their independence and resilience while also preventing that escalation of whatever emotional outbursts are on the verge, right? Because we are supportive and we're providing that stable presence for the child with those good boundaries, right? And so that's why we need to be good emotion regulators ourselves. I can't stress that enough. And I know I'm being repetitive, but it's important that we really let this sink in. Now, um, maybe I'll just give a couple of examples before ending today. Um, And, you know, I do have workshops where we can dig in and I want to do one specifically on this approach and managing these extinction bursts. So managing accommodations, managing our extinction bursts. I want to do a little workshop and actually a, a eight-week course as well. So definitely check that out. Um, But let's start with the sitting in example. I've written up a couple. So this is where parents remain close to the child during a challenging, you know, uh, big emotional meltdown. We're offering non-intrusive support. Okay. So let's say we've got a kiddo, Alex, okay, who's experiencing severe anxiety around doing homework. It's just front of mind right now because I just happened to work on it today. So this homework time in math, let's say, um, leads to big emotional outbursts. So to implement this, we would set up this proactively with Alex beforehand. So we're going to explain that we're going to be present during homework time to support. You know, we're not there to judge. We're not there to pressure. We're not there to do anything. We are there for support. I often say, like, you're the boss of your homework. I'm there as a consultant as needed. You can choose to use the consultant, you know, support and expertise if you want, but you don't have to. And then we're going to sit quietly in the same room while Alex does his homework. We're just maintaining a calm presence. We're not interfering. We're not looking over their shoulder. We're not offering for any help unless, you know, they're, they're asking for it. Over time, Alex is just going to feel less anxious about, you know, knowing he's not alone. I'm there for support if he needs it. So it's a non-intrusive presence. We're providing that sense of security. We're helping him regulate his emotions and work through those problems successfully. So the focus is on, is, you know, we want to avoid the feelings of overwhelm. Yes, we have to work through any frustration that comes up, but we don't want to escalate to the overwhelm because we're providing that emotional security right? We're showing our commitment and support without pressure. My goal isn't that you're going to finish it all 100% accurately. It's right now, I want you to be able to do your math calmly, right? And have some success doing some math where you can manage whatever frustration that's coming up for you. Okay. So that's probably an easy example. Let's use the bedtime resistance one because that's a common one that I see a lot of, okay? So let's say we have seven-year-old Sarah who consistently struggles going to bed, okay? And she's feeling anxious about being alone in her room. She's often getting out of her bed lots of times. She's delaying bedtime. I'm hungry. I got to go to the bathroom. I need to talk to you. I've got all these worries. 
And it's just causing a lot of stress for her and for her parents. So to start, we're going to be proactive, right? We're going to talk to Sarah during a calm time. It could be earlier in the day. Younger kids, we probably want same day. Older kids, we might be able to do it, you know, a little bit time before, but they forget. So we're going to explain that we will be nearby during bedtime to support, but the expectation is she needs to stay in bed. So we're setting a clear expectation about what bedtime routine is going to look like. So maybe, again, it might be, I'm going to read you two stories. I'm going to give you a hug. I'm going to give you a kiss. And then we're turning the lights out. Okay. Ideally, we're going to collaborate with her about, you know, where we're going to be initially for that support. So depending on where, what your current sleeping arrangements look like or what bedtime looks like, we're going to collaborate something different. Okay. So then after the bedtime routine, we we follow through and we're going to do exactly what we said. I already forgot what I said. Two stories, one hug, one kiss, maybe a slug, whatever the plan is. This is why you write it down. Okay. And then maybe we're going to just sit outside the door or we're going to go down the hall. We maintain that present, but we don't engage directly. Right. So you know, maybe we're reading a book, we're signaling that it's quiet time. Now I will often, you know, I'm not waiting to go in when they call, I'm saying I'm going to come in in intermittently. And so you want to, maybe it's like 10 seconds or you just close the door and you're popping back in and waving, and then you go back out and then maybe 30 seconds, you're popping in, just doing my check-in, right? So initially you want to do a lot of check-ins just so that they know, and they trust that you are still there. You are still, you know, still supporting them. And they're trusting that you're always going to come back because usually we push it, right? I'll be there in a minute. And then 20 minutes later, we still haven't. And now they've come out. Now we've gotten into a fight. So it's on our watch. Okay. And maybe if you've added a reinforcement piece, every time you pop in and she's still in bed, like thumbs up and maybe she gets a star or whatever. So it's worth her while staying in bed, but she's learning that, you know, you're still nearby. She's also learning to manage whatever anxiety comes up independently because we're not engaging in excessive interaction. We're not running to her every time she's calling or every time she's coming out. She's learning to self-soothe, but knowing the security of you being there. So Sarah's needs are still being met, but we're also respecting the boundary of bedtime and reinforcing the healthy sleep patterns and those routines. Okay, so that's really important. And then we can start expanding. You know, I don't know when I'm going to come in. But we still want to be doing that initially. Now, sitting in during, you know, any challenging time really offers that compassionate approach. We're balancing between being emotionally available while also encouraging our children towards that independence and self-regulation. So those are the examples of sitting in. Now, with the announcement strategy, that involves adults communicating, like I said, a very clear, non-confrontational message about their concerns and intentions. So uh, let's say we have Susie a teenager, okay, who's experiencing panic attacks, but refusing to talk about any of them, refusing to seek any help or anything. So parents are deciding to make an announcement to express concern and to offer support. So, you know, ideally, if they can't collaborate, and you know, Susie's not engaging in any conversation, then maybe they're going to write a letter. Ideally, they're going to write a letter that they read, but essentially, you know, it would be saying something like, you know, Susie, I, I, um, we've noticed that you've really been struggling with some tough emotions lately. And I want you to know that we're here for you, right? And, and we can find someone to help if you're comfortable, but we are here, we are committed to support you through this. 
So that announcement, it just really opens the door for Susie to discuss her feelings, but when she's ready, without feeling pressured, because parents and adults are just really good about what's going on, what's going on. I've noticed you're having a pet, what, 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 right there. And we're putting that pressure. We're just going to make it worse. So we're encouraging that open communication while respecting their autonomy and their readiness to seek help. And it's just reinforcing our support and understanding. Um, maybe we can do another bedtime example using the announcement strategy. So let's say we have 10-year-old Jack who's become dependent on having his parents in the room in his bed to fall asleep with him, okay? So whenever they've tried to move away, like, that's it, I got I got to go do, I got to go tuck in your sister, whatever. It just we see this huge anxiety at bedtime and his parents are realizing, okay, we can't give in to this anxiety-driven behavior anymore because it's disrupting, you know, our night, getting the other kids to bed, our sleep. So they decide to use this announcement strategy to address the issue. So proactively, Jack's parents are going to, you know, discuss and agree on a new bedtime approach, right? So ideally, we're going to collaborate with Jack, but if not, they're going to communicate whatever the change is to Jack in a very clear and supportive manner. Again, we're going to do the letter. So we've got that there written down. Okay. So again, writing that letter, um, finding a calm and neutral time, not right before bed. That is never the good time, right? Where we're going to sit down and talk to Jack clearly and calmly. And they may, they may say something like, you know, Jack, we've, we've really been noticing it's been hard. You know, bedtime routines have been hard and we, we've gotten into a lot of fights. And I know how hard it is sleeping on your own. And we might, you know, we understand that it might still feel really scary or uncomfortable for you. And we love you and we don't want to make this anxiety stronger any longer. So starting tonight or tomorrow night or whenever you have it, probably tonight, anytime you do it, they're going to get an extinction burst. So starting tonight, kiddo, we're going to try a new bedtime routine to help you feel more comfortable sleeping by yourself. We want to grow your resilient, problem-solving, you know, emotion regulation brain. We're not going to feed the scaredy cat brain anymore, whatever you want to call it. Like I said, though, if they're willing to collaborate, really do try to collaboratively develop that plan for helping Jack transition to sleeping independently on his own. Okay, so in, in whatever that looks like and how parents are going to start withdrawing their presence and then making sure you write it down. That's so important. But if you know you're going to get that resistance immediately and he's not going to engage in that collaborative problem solving, then in the conversation, we would just detail what that new bedtime routine and it's going to include, you know, what the behavioral expectations are for him, but also exactly how you are going to respond as well and how you're going to be removing yourself from the bedroom. So again, it could be starting in the room for a book or a certain period of time, but then we're going to be leaving, you know, at eight o'clock, we are leaving. We're going to set an alarm and as soon as the alarm off or whatever it is, okay, and we can incorporate some of those other pieces like the sitting in as well. So we're supportive in teaching him that this change is going to be a positive step towards helping him become more independent and that we are confident in his ability to make that adjustment. And if, you know, anxiety starts to take over, this is how we're going to respond. And then we're going to implement the plan. And most importantly, we're going to stick to the plan. Now, like I said, Jack is going to show resistance. That's why we're doing these episodes, right? That extinction burst is going to come up. But with consistency, he will adapt to learn to fall asleep on his own. He will. It just might take a little bit and it might take a, a few rough nights, but we're going to, you know, 
try, you you could also do, we're going to try this plan. We're going to do it tonight. And every night, every day, we're going to look at the plan and see what needs tweaking. So we're inviting him to collaborate. So if he doesn't collaborate the first time, well, tonight we're, hey, bud, it's five o'clock. We're going to look at this plan. Let us know if you have any input on how we can collaborate to tweak it to make tonight go a little bit more smoothly. Right. And if he wants to, great. He can be part of collaborating in that plan. But if he chooses not to, okay, you know, this is the plan, but but we'll give you another opportunity on Saturday or whatever it is. So the keys to success is ensuring that we're setting very clear expectations for Jack so he knows what to anticipate at bedtime. That approach is very empathetic and supportive. We're acknowledging Jack's feelings while encouraging his own autonomy and setting those necessary boundaries for healthier habits. Okay, so that's really important. So the focus with these strategies are balancing that support, that respect, the compassion. You know, we're giving children the, the the space. We're validating their feelings. We're fostering a secure understanding. Um, that just that environment where they feel safe. Okay, we're helping kiddos navigate those emotional challenges while reinforcing strong empathetic connection. So it's not the tough love. So if you're worried about the attachment piece. Just know that we are making sure we create that environment that is safe. It's a lot. So I'm going to leave it there today. You might want to listen again, but hopefully that gives you some ideas just on how to address those extinction bursts. Like I said, I will be... um in the new year, having a group and workshop on this where we really deep dig deep. The group will be great just because you'll be able to, from week to week, come back and be like, oh my gosh, how do I manage this big extinction burst? I'll be able to walk you through all of those things. Um, I, I'll get back on track next week with some of the other traps that adults often fall into, but I just wanted to make sure we were addressing these extinction bursts in case you were already starting to pull out some of those accommodations, because it is a piece where we, it's just another trap that we fall into when we try to pull back, you know, on our accommodations and increase children's independence that they, you know, start pushing back. So enjoy the rest of your day. Go help those kiddos be bold and courageous. And I will see you next week. Thank you.